Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. We are also so excited to share the good word of HeroForge. HeroForge is an online character design application for you to create, customize, and order tabletop miniatures that represent your D&D character. HeroForge offers a genre-spanning library of thousands of parts, sliders, customization options, and color design tools, 3D asset bundles for online play, token makers for virtual tabletops, and much, much more. So go to HeroForge.com today and make your very own tabletop miniature. Hey there! Thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original, non colonial, anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie. My pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Asamar bloodhunter. Lyra Olsen plays Manaya Wairua, a half-orc fighter and warlock. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Arakokra artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Nakshirzo, an elf sorcerer. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Kader, a dragonborn rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a triton monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sitlali, a changeling cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a reborn goliath ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, blood, gore, romance and references to sexual entanglements, heights and falling, nightmares, and manipulation. Arc 5, Episode 3. Say Surrender, Say Alabaster, Switchblade. From On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous, by Ocean Vuong. We open on the Harpy Hotel, 10 p.m., moments before disaster. An elf, a dwarf, and a tortle amble through the hand-carved streets of Siraksha, chatting in broad, jovial tones. The elf's dark, curly brown hair bounces as she navigates her wooden wheelchair over mist-slicked stones. The dwarf carries a half-dozen potions in her bulging, muscular arms, flickering torchlight illuminating a golden beard. She listens timidly to her third companion, a middle-aged turtle in a colorful chef's apron, as he opines about the health benefits of garlic. The elf, the dwarf, and the turtle turn the corner just as the corner explodes. An avalanche of rock, wood, gemstone splinters the air, shards of strapnel lodging into stalagmites, jagged shavings of glass raining down like hailstones. The three friends run for cover. Smoke billows from a collapsed wall of the Harpy Hotel. Chunks of stone sprinkle the front garden, burst pipes spewing water. Out on the street, we see the shocked and terrified faces of Talmadans peering out of stone lattice windows, pulling their children close, running to the nearest sending stone pillar to ring for help. And we pan now 
through the hole to see a foyer obscured by swirling dust littered with rubble, fearful shouts cutting through the smoky wreckage. We smell dust, grist, the accumulation of chaos as we pan up a ruined staircase past a dazed worker thrown against a crumbled railing over the second floor landing in through a door blasted off its hinges through an aperture the size of an ogre that has peeled this wall open. And inside this room, we see the remnants of a tense night ruptured into smithereens. A bed smashed against a collapsed wall, a sink shattered across the floor, wind gusting through the fractured balcony. Oka and Jaron, across the courtyard, on the opposite balcony from this room, you see all of this happen. It interrupts your conversation. You felt the weave tighten strengthen and then explode outward. You heard the pressure blooming across the garden. You saw your room detonate like a bubble popping. What do the two of you do? As the explosion went off, I think Oka still had their wings out from the latter end of the conversation with Jaron, and they grabbed him uh, and like pulled both of them like against the opposite wall as the explosion just like kind of came out. And then as like it settles, there's this moment of horror and then Oka is moving, desperately trying to pick up the sound of Gentle's heartbeat as they just like fucking jump over the railing uh, and take like two big flaps of their wings and they're like diving into the room. Your wings uh, like cut through the dust billowing out of this fractured balcony and I think your form starts to vanish into the mist as Jaron, what do you do? Jaron is going to follow, um, specifically calling out Gentle's name, like, into the dust. I, I don't assume that he's able to, like, see anything through all of this debris that has formed, but he's just going to, like, jump, like, from balcony to balcony and yelling out, like, Gentle, Gentle, are you there? As you spring from balcony to balcony, you see, you hear, like, and, like, as, like, balcony doors start sliding open, windows are, like, like, rock windows, like, also fly open as people staying at the hotel start poking their heads out. You see, like, a tired-looking tiefling sort of rubbing underneath their horn as they go, what's go, whoa! As you, like, jump on their balcony and, like, away from them, what's the great aid? As they, like, see this explosion and, like, the smoke billowing out of this hole, and, like, more people and like the murmuring and chattering and like concerned hubbub and confusion starts like filling this courtyard and you jump from balcony to railing to balcony to railing and Oka as your feathery wings cut through this debris and this dust and slice through the rubble we're actually gonna like push through all this mist to find gentle gentle you have miraculously not taken any damage uh physical that is from this explosion outward where do we find you um, I think honestly, I guess to describe more of I my clothes are absolutely like ripped to shreds a little bit. Um, I think I did a lot of deflecting anything that would have caused me major damage. Thus, like my hands are probably looking a little bruised. But um, I think the first thing I'm doing is calling out: Is anyone is are are people okay? Are people and just trying to make sure there's people who aren't me who got caught in the explosion. Um, so I'm probably trying to look in here for people confused, screaming, who may have been caught in all of this. 
Yes, I think even though you weren't physically injured, like your hands are maybe shaking a bit. And I think like you're hyper aware of your own heartbeat thrumming through your body because this was unexpected. And I think perhaps maybe like it's it's shocking, right? Uh, and I think like your ears are ringing from like the force of the explosion that went off near you. So even as you're calling out, it takes you a half second to realize even though you're speaking, you can feel your vocal cords straining with your own shouting. You can't hear your own voice coming out of your mouth. And it takes you a half second to realize that. Uh, but you do feel a gust of wind, two big flaps, and like some of the mist by the balcony clears as we see Oka land. Gentle, gentle, gentle. Uh, and Oka's right there. They kind of grab both of your shoulders. Gentle, 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 gentle. Are you, are you, are you okay? Are you okay? Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I, are people okay? And I don't think Gentle's aware of their own volume levels at this point. They may be screaming in Oka's face. Uh-huh. They, it's, uh, and Oka just does a quick glance around, still holding onto both of Gentle's shoulders. And I think their hands are shaking a little bit as they're holding onto Gentle. I have a thing I could do here. Go on. Um, I do have access to Gust of Wind. I might just, like, start reaching just to, like, sort of find any sort of wall to lean against just so I know a good spot to blast this gust of wind from. Okay, you sort of grope through this like swirling smoke, like the ringing of your ears, the pounding of your own heart against your sternum, and your fingers sort of grapple against like the crumbled edge of a corner. Yeah, I'll cast it. Gentle's absolutely never done this uh, on camera, but I don't think they have anything special. They just say like wind softly and just like push gently out, causing a pretty strong gust of wind. Does it require a dexterity or constitution saving throw if someone's caught in it? Uh, strength, or they'll be pushed. Jaron, uh, as you land on the balcony, just as gentle sort of whispers wind and poof, like a pillar, a column of breeze erupts out from outward from gentle, make a save. What's the save against? It is a save of 15. Strength. I fail, I got a nine. So Jaron, paint me a picture of what this looks like as he finally arrived. Okay, so I think Jaron has been like hopping from balcony to balcony and as he gets to the correct room, he like lands. Um, maybe their landing is a little bit shaky because they've like started to like lose their footing a little bit. Just their anxiety is going at this point, worried about where Gentle is and whether they're okay. And as Jaron lands, I think is exactly the moment that Gentle casts this spell and Jaron just kind of goes flying off the balcony. How far am I falling, by the way? Well, you're on the second floor, so at least 30 feet, I would say. I was just gonna say, I think uh, if Jaron has a moment uh, to like react, I think uh, he's gonna try and like grab the balcony as he's like falling backwards. Like he's, I imagine he's like falling straight back and he just like grabs for the railing. Sure, make a deck save. Come on, you're a rogue, you got this. Okay, I got, uh, 17. That is sufficient. Uh, Oka, you tart, I think you whip around just in time to sort of see, like, Jaron land and then, boom, like, fly off. But, like, their their hand, like, shoots out and, like, their fingers grab onto the ledge of this balcony. And Jaron, there's, like, a oof as you, like, swing with the momentum of it going downward and, like, you're, like, rocking back and forth. But you've scrabbled onto, like, the edge of this, of this balcony. What did the three of you do? I think Oka's wings are caught in the gust a little and they just kind of skid backwards across the floor. Um, they were trying to help Gentle to the wall uh, and they're looking around in a in a total panic. G Gentle, what, hap what happened? What happened? Uh, um, 
I like. I think. How is the room looking in terms of in terms of the gust? I think the gust has cleared out all the dust and swirling debris in the room, so it's sort of like settled downward. All of the uh, mist and dust and smoke has been blown outward, like past Jaron's like head. I think as he's like swinging there, and like Jaron's like long white hair sort of billows with particles, particulates of dust just billowing past you. Maybe like some get in your eyes, right? And as the dust sweeps out of this room. You just see complete and utter ruin. It's not like a fireball went off or even like a stroke of lightning. It was almost like sheer force, right? Like a bead of like sheer pressure suddenly expanded outward and pushed everything away. I think at that, then we'll stop concentrating on the gust of wind because of its concentration. I'll drop it and just sort of just sit on the ground, almost like in a heap. Um, uh... A letter, uh, for you, Oka. Uh, and I didn't open it. I, I didn't open it. Um, so I went to go get tea after everything, and, uh, it was in a big explosion. I think Oka has kind of, like, run back up to you after they got pushed back by the wind. Uh, and they're, like, just kind of on their knees, just, like, touching your body. Like, just, like, they're trying to make sure that you're still there. Um, and there's this panic in their face. A, a letter for me. A letter for me. Yeah. I didn't, it was slid under the door. I didn't look and see who did it. I, all I know is it's a letter, this was a letter for you. Fuck, fuck, gentle, fuck, this is all my fault. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, I, we should have, we should have. I'm okay. I, I, I mean, I didn't, like, I didn't get caught in the explosion much. I was able to dodge a lot of it. And if you or someone else had gotten in and opened the letter, it could have been a lot worse. I, I'm okay. I'm just a little shaky. Okay. Okay, are you sure? Are you sure you're okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just... Uh, I'm I'm okay. i just a little bruised, but I can heal that myself. I think Jaron has, like, managed to swing himself back up onto the balcony at this point, and has, like, made it back to the group. And he's just, like, on his, like, knees, um, patting down gentle, essentially, like, trying to make sure that you are, in fact, okay. There's no, like, cuts anywhere. There's no, like, little injuries. Gentle, did do you still have the letter? Any remnants of it? I don't know where it was. I had it just, like, in a spot for Oka to check when they got back. I, I don't know. Everything's just really loud. The three of you can make an investigation check for me if you want, as you scan this room for remnants of that letter. Can I make it with disadvantage? Yes, and take a point of inspiration for asking for that. Gentle, where did you leave the letter? Just sort of on the table in the middle of the room? Yeah, just on a surface where it'd be easy to see when everyone got back. Let's say like a kind of like low tea table, sort of maybe at the foot of the bed. Jaron. Where the foot of the bed used to be, you don't see a letter, but you do see the scorched remnant of a sigil in the distinct shape of an eye. And Oka, with your natural one, when your eyes fall upon that sigil, you feel all three stitched and Frankenstein together aspects of your soul sort of coil back and sort of like clench up and contract in recognition, hatred, fear, shock. And there's like a moment where your tea just suddenly swells up and starts pumping through you and like invigorating your adrenaline and bloodstream. And you can sort of hear your blood like beating in your ears as you stare at that eye and that eye seems to stare back at you. 
I think finding that, Jaron is going to walk up to it and like try and touch it. Jaron, 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 Jaron. Okay, sorry. Don't touch that. What? Don't touch that. What is it? We need to go. We need. We need to go. We need to go. We need to go right now. We need to get 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 everything that's s- s- still here. We need to go somewhere else. Somewhere. The fucking fucking chrysalis can't fucking find us. Okay. Okay. We'll leave. Do we want to wait for Mercy to get back? And should we at least investigate maybe what the sigil is, like the magic used? Uh, as Oka is frantically shaking their head, all three of you hear a, what the fuck? Uh, come from like the blasted open doorway as like Mercy arrives on the scene, right? Like she's dressed exactly the same as she was when she and like Sitlali went down for a walk. And like her eyes are like wide. She looks absolutely shocked. Like she's holding in one hand, like I think like a drink that she bought from like a street vendor outside, like a beer can or something. And she just drops it. And like the can drops onto the floor and like liquid just sizzles across the, the ruined carpet. What happened? What? Gentle, Jaron, Oka, are you okay? Yeah. Are other people okay in the next rooms? Uh, there were a couple people being pulled out in stretchers, but fuck, the Night Watch. They're on their way here. We gotta go. We, we gotta go. We gotta go. Uh, the uh, console of Vinash is, uh, bought off by the Chrysalis. We, we, we need to go. Uh, and at that okay. moment, the three of you here, like, shout business-like shouts, like, coming up from the foyer, the ruined foyer underneath you. Uh, and you also hear, like, the ringing and clanging of ironclad boots over crumbled stone beginning to filter in, and Mercy goes, shit, shit, okay, great. And she starts scrambling around, grabbing, like, your belongings that have somehow survived the blast, I think, like, that are strewn everywhere, stuffing, like, items back into bags, slinging them over her shoulder and going, come on, the balcony, let's go. And she like heads straight for the balcony and without like a second glance over her shoulder, like leaps off of it. It can fly somebody in Oka. Could you fly somebody too? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you can fly? I, it's my shoes. Uh, <laughs> you all hear Mercy go, you're what? And like, like a crumple sound as she falls into a pile of bushes. Before we leave, Jaron is going to say too gentle in Morosi, kind of like in a more hushed tone, so ideally Oka doesn't necessarily hear. Can you quickly look at that sigil and figure out what it's about before we leave? I will say back in Morosi, I'm not good at magic, but I will do my best. You're better than I am. Roll Arcana. Right. Uh, does an 18 get me anything? How are you investigating the eye? Um, I think it may be one of those things that I am slightly in touch with the idea of magic just naturally between my own ability to heal and my own natural magics like the gust of wind i just did and seeing what the vibes are on it in terms of a body sensation vibe that check makes the sense eye. You're, you vibe check the eye okay yeah uh as mercy <laughs> runs across the room right and Jaron turns and whispers this to you and you turn and look at this sigil you get the sense that the weave sort of like distorts and distends and wavers above the surface of this eye, but you feel a distinct wave of like divination magic coming up out of like the scorch marks of this eye. Also get the sense that floating all around you are the shattered remnants of evocation magic. So whatever explosion that was, was like pure force, like pure destruction. And it left behind this little aftertaste. Let's say this little echo, this little reminder of what it used to be here. That is now imbued with divination magic. Okay. 
I will, of course, let Dron know all of that. Um, Dron, do you mind if I carry you? Mercy's a lot bigger than me, and I don't... Is that cool? Yeah, that's that's fine, gentle. And yeah, I, I will take off and fly. How fast can you fly, Okay. I have a flying speed of 60, darling. Hey, you're faster than me for now. I'll keep leveling up, it's cool. So what does it look like as you take flight, gentle? This is the first time we've seen you fly. Uh, it... I don't want it to be just running. It feels a little Peter Pan, honestly. If it were to be anything, it feels a little, like, just very light-footed, and Gentle probably has a decent amount of, like, mobility, despite that. Um, so yeah, I just sort of full-body spread and just fly. <laughs> you know Gentle's had been practicing when the hounds are doing hound things. Oh my god, and you're carrying Jaron, right? Yeah, look okay. a little like Superman, it's very funny. Oh my god! <laughs> wow, okay, what? <laughs> Alright, so Jaron, Gentle sort of scoops you up and you go flying through the air, right? Like, maybe your tail lashing behind you as you see, like, the darkened gardens of, like, the courtyard beneath you begin to flutter past. And Mercy sort of pops her head up from, like, a bush full of, like, hydrangeas. <laughs> uh, what the? Uh, okay. Uh, she doing uppies? Unbelievable. Uh, Oka's right there. They jump off the balcony. They actually have been, they've carried Manaya so many times, actually, uh, in the, in the last year. So I think they just, like, grab one of Mercy's wrists and just, like, really wrench it. Like, they really just <gasps> wrench her up into the air. God, you try to reset my broken wrist? You broke your wrist? Like, ten years ago. It's a long, ow, ow, ow. Okay, other one. Distribute the weight. Oka distributes the weight. Oh my great eight! Oh, who did that? I wasn't aware you were capable of like explosion magic, gentle. Someone may have slid a letter underneath the door for Oka, and that did the job. What? You're t- you, what? What? You're telling me a letter exploded? Yeah, it seemed to be a mix of force energy, and then it left a little eyeball as a little reminder of who did it eyeball okay isn't that the fucking chrysalis mercy well we're not safe here obviously shit fuck back to the mines i guess or whoa we're safe what about that little garden in the senate house they can't explode the senate house karishma's secret garden we could sleep there honestly not a bad idea okay let's fucking go Where's Sitlali? Don't we need to go get Sitlali? And Mercy trails off as, like, you and Gentle are, like, flying. You're fucking flying through the air in Dabathati. Let me paint you a quick picture as this conversation's happening. You, like, the Harpy Hotel sort of vanishes behind you, and there are no clouds up here because Dabathati's inside a mountain, and, like, there's a ceiling, but it's, like, a couple hundred, if not thousands of feet above you. And you you sort of just see, like, the city, like, sprawled out, like, a glittering pane of uh, rock and glass underneath you. Little, like, torch lights glowing. Uh, like little pinpricks of hope within this darkness. You also see like huge, dark, almost like formless structures in the distance where your eyes can't quite pierce the horizon. And you hear everywhere the gushing of waterfalls sparkling like strands of silver light gushing out of crevices in the walls. You see like uh, the flowing, shimmering tails of rivers and ponds uh, all throughout underneath you. And it's almost like a little like Lego, like beautiful, like winter wonderland, like play area as you're like up in the air and flying. And you see like a flock of like bird bats 
right? Like feathered bats, sort of like like silently above your heads, close to like the um, ceiling, the cavernous ceiling above you. And you also see like so many colonies of like feathered bats, as well as like actual birds and nests sort of roosting on stalactites hanging off of the ceiling around you. And amidst all the beauty, Mercy just goes, Sidlali's uh, sleeping with her ex, I think. They needed to take the night off after... <clears throat> and she clears her throat in Jaron's poignant direction. So she's, uh, we went to the Queen's Gambit and she said she was gonna stay there for the night. And maybe the morning. And I figured, hell, they deserved it, so why not? What about Pud? Don't worry, I let them know to prod Sybil about information for Bud. And look for him if he's with them. We cut now to the Senate House. Uh, amidst, I think, a crush of topiary and fern and bursting berries and flowers suspended in full bloom in the height of summer, caught there like a bug in amber by the weave. Even though it is deepening into the chill of midwinter all around Dabathati, here in Konso Karishma Bataval's secret garden, it is perpetual summer. There's sort of like a like a gust of wind, Oka, as both you and Gentle touch down amidst all the shrubs and the green grasses and the tinkling of water and streams flowing. Uh, you sort of hear like the chirping of crickets like within the underbrush and like the of birds pecking against wood and the rustling of feathers. And you're not sure what's feathers and birds chirping, what's insects rubbing their legs together, what's leaves rustling against branches, twigs snapping underfoot, etc. Uh, the three of you, four if you count Mercy, arrive in the secret garden, surrounded on all sides by lush vegetation and wildlife. What do you do? Well, I think, is it worth talking to Karishma Bhattavala about us being here, Oka? I, I can't imagine that she'd be particularly pleased about us just camping out here. I mean, do you want to go try to find her in the middle of the night? I have no idea where she lives. She's expecting us in the morning. We'll be here. And hopefully nobody else will know that we're here. That's a great first impression to make. It would be my third impression, maybe. Personally. Well, I guess time to set up camp. And Dron is going to look around, because I remember that there's a big pond in the middle of this garden, correct? Correct. Um, so I think... Jaron is going to try and find like a dryish spot because if I remember it's kind of like wet in this area so trying to find a dryer spot for us to set up you're able to find like a nice little clearing perhaps 10 feet away from the circular pond in the middle of this garden with like these like big palm like fronds of like trees that look imported from Wuhanahi and there oh there's like a bush that looks like it's from too long like there's all sort of like exotic like flora here right definitely kept here at a specific humidity and temperature by magic so you're able to find a nice clearing to sort of bed down mercy how much of our shit is exploded uh let's see and mercy like swings all of your belongings all the bags that she picked up over her muscular shoulders like onto the grassy ground and splats them open and by some stroke of fortune all of your equipment is intact None of you lose anything. Will you look at that? I guess God and Nectis are in our favor today. Thanks, V. Uh, and Oka picks up Shuhai Miao's diary, this kind of like circular book. Uh, and they like put it real close to their chest and kind of like pat it there. And then they look at Gentle for like the 18th time since they've landed. Are you, are you sure you're okay? Um, flying helped calm me down. 
uh, good amount. Are you okay? Oka's eyes are wide and their hands are still kind of shaking and they just nod. Yeah, I'm fine. Would you like some tea? It might help. You know what? Yeah, tea, tea, tea. Tea would be nice. Thank you, gentle. Of course. I will, of course, go and get tea for anyone who wants some. Jerome, would you like some tea? Tea would be lovely, gentle. Actually, I have a question for you after. Okay. Um, Mercy, do you want some tea? No, no, I'm good. Uh, uh, gentle, you sure you're good? You almost got blown up. Uh, I am okay. I am considering this lucky because it could have been anyone else and they may not have been ready. I got a little shaken up, but if, let's say, Oka had opened that, it could have been a lot worse. So I'm going to consider this lucky. Lucky. Right. And Mercy's going to sort of turn to look at Oka on that word. Oka looks a bit like a deer caught in the headlights. And they look between each of their friends' three faces. This is why I didn't want you all to come into too long. Shit like this follows us around now. We should have we should have been more careful. I, it's it's my fault. Hey, hey, Oka. Consider. We now know the risks, and none of us got hurt. This could have been a lot worse. I'm I. It is okay to be afraid. It is okay to be shaken up. It is okay to not be okay right now. But it's not your fault. It's it's okay. I I killed their speaker. My face has been plastered around Dabathati since we came here the first time. The heroes of Dabathati bullshit. I'm a little hard to miss. The more that you three are around me, the more that this is gonna happen. We can call Dr. Eluso and ask for for some other... No, Oka, we chose to be here with you. If you remember back in too long, we, we wanted to help you. To help all of the Paragons. This is a choice that we're making. Yeah, we we're can't not a bunch of you... helpless schoolgirls. This is our decision. I know, like, 16 schoolgirls that could kick your ass, Mercy. <laughs> I'd like to see them try. I'm just afraid of any of you getting hurt. That's all. Jaron's right. This is our choice. <laughs> We're not like, what, the eight of you paragon destined by the gods to achieve great things and sacrifice yourselves in the name of Antake. This is, this is all us, baby. So let us make the choices we're going to make, okay? It's how we want to help. Duran shoots Mercy a look at that as well and says kind of pointedly, and despite all of that, you also have a choice, Oka. And we will make sure that you don't get hurt the same way that you're here to protect us. Fine. Fine. See if we can sleep. The tea I made might help with that. I made sleepy time tea. Is this the same kind of sleepy time tea you were feeding us when we were in Moreau's that one time? You know what? I don't care. Give it to me anyway. Of course. Um, yeah, I bring three carefully uh, made teas um, for the three of us. Um, Mercy, are you sure you don't want anything to drink? Yeah, you got whiskey? No. 
Uh, then don't worry about it. I'll just drink this pond water. Uh, but sometimes the comforts of civilization are still a little weird to me, okay? I was raised by monsters. Let me drink my dirty pond water. I'm going to uh, politely give you a cup of tea as well. Oh uh, yeah, Mer Mercy takes it. <laughs> I'm not going to drink this. But when she thinks your back's turned, she like sips at it. Can I roll perception to catch that? Yeah, why don't you? <laughs> why don't you? DC 19. Love being a monk. Love high wisdom. That's a 21. Yeah, you notice Mercy surreptitiously sipping her tea. Just a little wry smile. While everyone is going to bed, Jaron is going to go up to Gentle and just kind of pull them aside. Gentle, before I get into it, I just wanted to ask, are you sure that you're okay? Because I know that you can handle yourself, obviously. We've gotten into our own fair share of trouble before, but I just wanted to make sure. I mean, I'm shaken up. Uh, that was a lot of noise, but flying did calm me down and was a new perspective on things. That was really nice. Um, but I'm trying not to think about the explosion a lot right now, but ultimately I am grateful it was me because at least I was able to dodge it and it could have been a lot worse if anyone else would have gotten hit by it. So I'm considering it a blessing in disguise. Doesn't always have to be you, Gentle. I know, but it was and no one got hurt seriously, so win-win? I can't really agree with you there, but I'm glad you're okay. Gentle, since you are shaken up and Oka's going to, well, they're not going to have a great night. Do you remember that one balm that we, that you used to make in Moreau's? The one to help with anxiety? Oh, yeah. Um, it's been a while since I made that one. Do you still have the ingredients for it? Um, yeah, yeah. I keep a little on me just in case it helps uh, when everything's too loud. So yeah, I'll I'll make one. Do I have to roll anything to make it? Um. Okay. Why not? Medicine. That makes sense. Uh, that's a twenty-three. You make it. What is um, it? What does it look like? How are you putting it together? Uh, I keep a tiny mortar and pestle. I have them with small, like, little markings underneath for whatever each mortar and pestle's for. I have one for tea, one for, like, little candies, one for, like, medicine and more medicinal things. So, yeah, I start taking all of the ingredients together and just... I think it's actually, like, very calming for gentle and very meticulous, and they sort of get lost into it um, because it's the thing they just have done for most of their life and they make this little balm in just a small little container um here that uh, i thank you for remembering that how could i forget you used to make it a lot when we were kids yeah. i mean you like we needed as much for a while there so i didn't know if it was just a, a thing that kind of got pushed to the wayside well i can't forget and some of this is for you, by the way, so. Oh. Yeah, I should probably use some. Um, and I do, like, scoop a little out into my own container. Uh, thank you for checking on me. I, it's really weird for everyone to be worried about me. Like, I get I was in an explosion, but I'm fine. You do, you do hear how that sounds, right, Gentle? Yes. But I... 
I don't like this much attention. I'll be... It's weird. Okay. Well... Um, how are you? Better, now that we know that you're okay. But Worried. how are you from before the explosion? I know I was in the bathroom, so I did hear a lot of arguing. Jaron gets, I think, noticeably uncomfortable at bringing up the argument from before. It's okay if you don't want to talk about it. Maybe not right now. No worries. Um, if you need any, make sure you use some too. Thank you. Uh, good night, Jaron. Good night, gentle. And with that, the two of you settle into your bedrolls that still kind of smell like smoke. <laughs> and the four of you drift off into a deep, dreamless slumber. All four of you, that is, except Oka. Oka, you see a crimson sky. The smell of blood and thunder fills your nostrils. You look around, and everywhere you see, from horizon to horizon, north to south, east to west, is death. The strangers, hundreds and hundreds of eyes scatter across the atmosphere, big globules of tar, black, crimson, red blood dripping out of its multi-colored, malformed irises, sloughing onto the earth where they distend and transform into different horrifying monsters. You see wings unfurling, unfolding across the eyes, little feathers rippling, rippling, tensing, contracting, and then expanding as just a gush of wrong, distended, unzipping magic filters through the weave all around you. It's just the eight of you now. The eight, uh, what, uh, that's not right. There's only, wait, three of you are gone. There's only five of you here. You look to your left, Shuhai, and you see empty, obfuscated, shadowy markings where Ikaika, Karvash, and Ying used to be. They're there, but they're not there. There's something wrong. They're gone? They're somewhere deep? They're somewhere under? You can't quite feel or, or reach or access? And you look to your right, and Bazul, well, she's gone too, but not like Ikaika, Karvash, or Ying. She's hidden behind a pane of black glass, the edges of her Goliath form obscured by smoky mist. She raises a hand to, to, to the surface of this black glass, and you see a palm bloodied, sundered, sort of clink against that material, reaching out for you, out for anyone, as all around you, arrows of malformed blood rain down, and the beating of so many different wings pulses. You have a crystal moment to do something here, Shuhai. What do you do? Shuhai goes to the pane of glass, puts their hand against it, and then forms it into a fist and takes one swing and pounds against it as hard as they can. Uh, as you walk up to this blackened pane of glass, painting your picture here, it's just sort of like a floating rectangle in the sky. Uh, like someone took like a void knife and just sort of cut like a piece of a piece of reality away and it's just sort of like like suspended there like a doorway that leads nowhere and as you form your shadowy hand into a fist and you smash it forward something explodes and breaks and you gasp awake oka 
covered in sweat, your heart pounding, your hair sort of like ruffled and askew, your eyes blown wide, all of your pupils dilated. Basra! 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 Fuck! 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 It's okay. Okay. And I'm here. You're okay. It was. It was. It was. It was. It was different. It was different. It's different. They were. They were. They weren't there. They weren't there. There's. Who wasn't there? I. I don't remember. I don't. Fuck. I don't remember. That's okay. I don't take a moment. I don't remember. Breathe with me. Okay? Deep breath in. And out. Fuck. I'm sorry. Don't apologize. Here. And Jaron will hand you a, like, dampened cloth that's been clearly, like, dipped into the pond water and, like, brought out. Here. For the sweat. Oh. And Oka touches their brow, and I think they, because they're a blood hunter and a necromancer, I think their sweat is a little bit red with blood, like blood sweat. Yeah, sorry, that's gonna happen. And they take the cloth from you, Jaron, uh, and kind of wipe it across their brow. Um, fingers shaking, which happens a lot more now. And they cast a kind of sheepish look at the rest of the little camp that they've set up. Paragon dream. Just every night for the last year or so. Is there anything that we can do to help? Not unless you know how to unstitch prophecy. No. I think, oh guys, you look at Jaron, you can see that there's like little bags under his eyes because he actually has seen this happen once before. Uh, when the par- when the hounds first found you in the Silent Grove. So I think he anticipated that this would happen, and so he woke up, like I want to say, like a couple hours before he knew that you would wake up, and just like sitting there, like waiting for you to wake up. And with this balm that Gentle has so kindly made the night before, like is ready essentially like with it to help you. Okay, um... Can I have your arm? My arm? Yeah, what do you need it for? Here, this. And they pull out the balm. Gentle made it last night. It's to help with anxiety, and I figure it might help with. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Gentle. Of course. Uh, like I said, any way I can help. And I think... Oka will apply the bomb kind of quietly as they like, they seem to like come back down to themselves. And the other times I think that, cause it's been a few, like there were like one or two days at Dr. Elusa's when the Paragons were all together, it was, Oka would still wake up kind of intensely, but they had not woken up screaming. Uh, and I don't think any of them had in those days. Uh, and they seem a little frazzled from that, but they kind of get this like far away look as they're putting the, the bomb on. <sighs> Mercy wakes up, stretches, uh, just sits upright in like one fell swoop. Uh, 
and like her ponytails kind of come undone in the middle of the night. So like her red hair is just sort of like this fiery mane going down her shoulders. Mm, she like scratches behind her neck. Morning. Oh. Ah. Well, this garden really smells nice in the morning. And you get the sense that she did not wake up because of Oka screaming. I really don't know what Silali sees in you. Huh? And you look at her, she's got like crusty eyes, or she's like, ugh, like half like snoring still, like some saliva caked on like the side of her jaw. Ugh. All right, we better get ready for that uh, Karishma shark person, eh? Yes, and we're going to be on our best behavior. Best behavior. Exactly. Don't embarrass me, the leader of the hounds, please. And she like bends over and starts splashing her face with pond water. Is there anywhere else we could get cleaned up so we can look like professional? Honestly, I was going to say the pond might be a good idea. Water is actually quite refreshing, gentle. Come on. Oka makes a weird face, uh, but they also kind of squeeze Jaron's hand a little bit. Um, this look of gratitude on their face. And then sheepishly still, I think, move toward the pond as well. Uh, and they start to like rummage through their bag. They're taking out clothes. Like they didn't used to carry clothes in their bag, but they have clothes that they start to like take out now. And just from seeing them, they're like fine silks. And there's like this beautiful silver etching threaded through one of them. And they start to like take it out. And something also kind of like plunks onto the ground next to their foot. And they go, oh, oh, right. Uh, and they scoop and pick it up. Jaron, I... Come here. Oh, is the prince calling me now? I just woke up from a horrible nightmare. Yeah, Jaron. but look at your clothes. What about them? Don't you think they're a little... uptight? I look really good in them. And I waited seven years to be able to wear them. Well, I'll have to just wait and see. Okay, what is it? Now that you're done insulting me, I'll give you a gift. A gift? For what? For saving my life. Just generally speaking. I'm not allowed to give you a gift. You're my boyfriend. I can give you a gift if I want to. Right? I guess. Yeah. I mean, we just never did that before. Oh my god, just give the gift. Holy fuck. Just give it. Please. Oka shoves a dagger into Jaron's hands. There. There you go. And then they bend down and splash a bunch of water on their face. Jaron, what does the dagger look like? The dagger that Oka gives them is this, like, like I want to say, like, the blade looks like it's made of obsidian. Like, it is pure black. Um, and it is this long, pointed dagger. And inside, like, on the actual blade itself, there are these little, like, threads um, of, like, carvings going all around it, like, patterns. And I think it matches, actually, as the counterpart, kind of like the contrasting counterpart to a dagger that Oka has as well, where Oka's dagger is specifically, like, white and has the threading inside of it is black instead. Kind of like ice that is threaded through with these, like, little veins of black. And I think as you take the dagger from Oka, there's a little tag attached to the hilt with, like, a little, like, note written on it. And the tag just says, from Kane XOXO. When did you see Kane? Uh, they came to the wedding. The wedding? Yeah, my wedding. Not my wedding. Uh, not my wedding. Your, not my wedding. You're married? Not my wedding. Oka. No, Wait, I'm you're not married? I'm not married. I'm not married. I'm not married. You were engaged. It, 
It was my ex-fiance's wedding to my stepbrother. We were supposed to be married when we were like kids, right? It was gonna be after our 25th birthday, but then I was exiled and um, they just redid the engagement to my stepbrother, Prince Moore, who's a dickhead. And Halo is the dream prophet, um, who is my ex-fiance. Were you engaged when we, when we met? By technicality, maybe. You, and you didn't think this was important to, to mention? I didn't think it was important to mention because I never mentioned that I was a prince and also I never thought I would be a prince again. Also, I wasn't a prince. I was exiled. Yeah, it's not the prince part that I'm talking about here, Oka. I wasn't engaged anymore. I had been engaged, sort of. <clears throat> and all four of you hear someone clear their throat, sort of maybe like 15 feet away in the foliage. You see Karishma Bataval, the consul. Uh, Ri is flanked on either side by maybe two or three aides, and you're not sure how long they've been standing there. I think Oka's like halfway changed. Like their shirt is just off all the way, and they're like, they stand as fast as they can. Karishma, Karishma. One of one of the aides, this little like nervous looking halfling uh, man, goes, oh, "It's Consul Bataval." Consul Bataval. My deepest and most humble apologies for our current state of undress. My office? And Consul Bataval just turns, you know, like this big hammer-headed, like, visage just swinging around disdainfully. And, you know, their robes sort of flutter downward as they stalk away from the foliage. And Mercy's, like, pulling on a boot. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Okay, yep. Come on, hounds. Let's rally. Let's go. So much for a first impression. Uh, third impression. I hope that's still fine. I just asked, are we underdressed for this? Uh, you know what? Uh, I think it's better than trying to change it on the way. Um, and Mercy, like, takes out, like, a thing of, like, perfume and starts spraying it. Uh, but you realize it's not perfume as she does it. It's, like, the equivalent of fantasy Axe body spray. Just, like, this, like, kind of, like, yeah. And she, like, stuffs it back in her pocket and... I think like a bird nearby lets out a squawk of displeasure as the fumes waft into its its beak. Mercy straightens up, all right, uh, grabs her sword, sheaths it like against her back and starts hoofing along. And we cut to Karishma Bataval's office. It is a beautiful room, quite large with a domed ceiling. And the architecture here looks really old. Uh, there's almost like a story being told in sort of like the stone relief carvings, like that adorn like the panels of the ceiling, as well as the walls and the pillars that rise up to support the domed ceiling. And as you stride in through this like arched uh, doorway, uh, you can sort of see a story weave itself uh, through the architecture. Uh, a story of royalty being worshipped as though they were gods, right? The rise and fall of that royalty. And as you pan from left to right, you see that the ending of the story is in flames, fire, right? Uh, and that's also where it seems to begin, right? So things end and begin in flame with like a mountain in the back. Um, and the mountain forms the archway that you stride on through. And as the four of you walk into Karishma Bhattaval's office, she's like settles down like behind this like 
big desk just strewn with like battle maps and like uh, scrolls and reports and quills and calligraphy and gems and everything. And like she looks like she has like a thousand years worth of paperwork to do. And her three aides are like constantly shuffling paperwork around as she gestures for the four of you to take a seat in front of her huge desk. And like, you know, like waves her hand. One of the aides offers like all three of you like pots of coffee. Oka refuses the coffee, but they did get changed on the way here. And they are wearing that same fit from before, uh, which is this like sheer shirt with silver thread that kind of like details uh, this like very fine celestial pattern, like kind of up and over. And they didn't have time to put like their like overcloak on. So it's just kind of that and their like normal black trousers. So they look a little off, but um, yep, they, they sit. Yeah, Mercy looks extremely underdressed next to you, just with her, like, tunic that sort of, like, has a broken button that's sort of, like, showing off, like, the top part of her chest. She sits down, like, quickly tucks in a few shirt tails into her trousers, like, clops some mud off of her boots, like, onto the regal carpet, and nods and smiles at Karishma, who, like, kind of looks at Mercy disdainfully, and then, like, big shark-like gaze falls upon Juran and Gentle, and then finally circle back to fall upon you, Oka. Prince Hien, thank you for such a punctual arrival, coming 30 minutes before our agreed-upon meeting time. I appreciate it. We actually arrived yesterday. I like to get a lay of the land, and we had a few loose ends to tie up in Dabathati. Ah, there's a pause, and you see, like, a wrinkle of displeasure sort of, like, darken the broad horizontal pain of her brow. I see. I take it that your early arrival in Dabathati didn't ruffle too many feathers or explode too many hotel rooms? No, no. We were absolutely expecting to be, uh, you know, attacked, assassinated as soon as we got here. That was a real thank you so much, actually, for filling me in in our debrief from the last Alliance meeting. I really appreciate how much you told us about what we should expect here, Karishma. Well, I was expecting to brief you when you arrived. Things are complicated. And at that, an aide actually rushes in with like a huge stack of papers and is going, Consul Batavol, Consul Batavol, here are the latest statistics. Uh, we did a survey of the people and and like she like waves them away and this person, oh, I'm so sorry, like turns around and like bustles out with this huge stack of papers again. <sighs> Prince Hien, I do apologize for not giving you advance warning about the state of things here in Dabathati. Frankly, I'm up to my ears in personal affairs right now. But we should talk. I'm sure you have many questions, and I have as many answers as I can to give you regarding... <clears throat> she clears her throat, and the remaining aides, like, clear out of the room and, like, close, like, the doors behind them. And as soon as there's privacy, Karishma continues her sentence regarding the Paragon of Udabathi. I know very little about the Aurochs Guild's day-to-day operations and the brass tacks of what they do. But, given my position as consul, I am aware of criminal goings-ons in the city. And, uh, field reports have concluded that the description of the women- Karishma, you don't have to fuck with us. We know that you're in the pocket of the Aurochs Guild. Okay. And we know that the other two consuls have been bought off by the Chrysalis, which you have, again, failed to mention in any of the Alliance meetings. 
I'm in the middle of a recall campaign. Okay? I am the last bastion of anti-chrysalis sentiment in this government, and they want to recall me. So excuse me if things have slipped under the radar for me. <sighs> Fucking... <sighs> and like this like swear word just sort of like uh, escapes, I think, in Talmadi. She's been speaking in common this entire time, but in sort of like sub-formal, it like slips out like this like... <laughs> like a really low version of Talmadi and she reaches for some like pure black coffee and just guzzles it. The person that the chrysalis wants to prop up, the candidate to replace me, this tiefling woman, uh, preacher of the chrysalis, Grace, it will be absolute disaster for the city if she replaces me, okay? I am quite aware how disastrous it would be. But I do apologize. This is the top priority. Frankly, I... People like Toktoa Kagan would take advantage of the chaos in Dabathati to push their own agendas in the Alliance, all right? I have things under control. As long as you help me stop the Chrysalis and getting the Paragon of Udabathi to be on our side. Speaking of which, Paragon of Udabathi, I'm sure maybe you know at this point, is Captain Dovrenier. Goes by Old Mama Lightning. She's one of the three captains of the Aurochs Guild. I assume you know the other two as well. Captain Freyas Ram and Captain Crucible, also known as Sybil the Cruel. Oka shoots kind of a sidelong look at Gentle. We are aware. Like I said, I am not privy to the day-to-day -day operations of the Aurochs Guild. I know they're headquartered underneath Dabathati, in the catacombs of the ancient giants. I know that Captain Threyas Ram, also known as the Black-Toothed Woman, she runs the monster fighting pits. Queen's Gambit's her front. She's basically the Aurochs Guild's version of the Consul of Saraksha. She's in charge of the guild's money. Their businesses, their fencing operations, extortion, blackmail, you name it. <sighs> Captain Crucible, Sybil the Cruel, they are actually the newest captain. Uh, there are rumors that they, let's say, deposed of the old one to claim their seat. They are the Aurochs Guild's version of the Consul of Thristi. They're in charge of stewarding the Guild's future. To that extent, they work closely with Old Mama Lightning on recruitment efforts and personnel management. I've heard from my contacts at the Aurochs Guild that Captain Crucible was called down to Nabal a couple of months ago to help smooth over Kusing Guild recruitment efforts. They stayed there for about a week or so before returning. All I know about Captain Dovrenye, Old Mama Lightning, is that, um, well, she's the only one who's ever actually interfaced with the Aurochs themselves. And the Aurochs is, of course, the leader of the guild, but no one's ever seen them. Personally, I think they don't exist. I think they're a myth made up by the three captains to maintain fear over the populace and control. But who knows? Old Mama Lightning, let's see. And she sort of, like, shuffles through some papers on her desk and, like, props one up and reads it. Right, of course, yes. Uh, she's known for... Why is this one raising their hand? It's what they do when they want to speak. Gentle, you are free to speak. Do you have any more information on Civil the Cruel? <sighs> Define information. Anything that would get me closer. Closer? Uh, they frequent upscale restaurants in Thristi. Uh, their favorite one is called the Lover's Quarrel. They're a big fan of exotic flora and fauna. They have an extensive collection of strange beasts and plants from all across the eight nations. They're unpredictable. They're suave. They're charming. Likeable, but dangerous. I know. All right. As I was saying, 
<clears throat> she like ruffles a piece of paper. Old Mama Lightning uh, frequents the dance theaters of Thristy. She's uh, quite the patron of the arts. Interesting report here, though. And she like like taps her fingers against the paper, and it creates sort of like a rippling sound. She wasn't at the opening night of the Paragon War retold. Some uh, Tulongan play staged by some Tulongan noble. Uh, opening night was actually three nights ago. She wasn't there, which is odd. Her seat was empty. She never misses those kinds of events. Any idea on where she was? Busy with the chrysalis, maybe? I don't know. If anyone would know, it's the other leaders of the Aurochs Guild. Lady Saram always frequents the monster fighting pits. Crucible is usually at the Queen's Gambit or at the Lover's Quarrel. Old Mama Lightning used to go to dance theaters, but you probably won't find her there. She's been gone for a couple days. Maybe off doing some sort of task or something. I don't know. Understood. I owe Lady Saram a visit. We can head to the monster fighting pits. Gentle? We can see what we can find there. I'd love to. What about you? And she turns her gaze on you, Jaron. Oh, they'll come with us. Okay. Four people showing up to the monster fighting pits. That's not a bad team. You sure, sure you can fight whatever monstrosity Saram has cooked up from the god vein? Hold your own. Do you remember who it was who saved Dabathati in the first place? Yes, and look at the legacy your elf left behind. Thank you for cleaning up her mess. I really do appreciate it. All right, I've got a busy, a busy day of meetings and panels and speeches to make. Any other way I can help you? We need a safe place to stay. The garden is safe. I don't know how you made your way in, but it is magically fortified to ensure only those who I deem fit can pass through it. Myself, my few trusted aides, and you and your allies. That's what the spell knows. Anyone else is blocked from entering. If they're powerful enough, they may be able to crack the abjuration circle, but I set it up myself, and it will trigger an alarm that will be very audible if it's broken. Guess we're camping in Dabathati, then. What do you know about the other consoles and their relationship to the chrysalis? <sighs> At that, like, Karishma, like a really sour look comes over the shark person's face. Well, Consul Rahim Abramed, he is a piece of work. I don't know if you've ever seen him. He is a tabaxi. Consul of Vinash, he's perceptive. I'll give him that. He's very insightful. Don't try to pull a fast one over him. Cunning. But he's arrogant. Hot-tempered, too. He was one of the first uh, to fold into the chrysalis's pocket. He's always been very uh, bloodthirsty. I've always thought that perhaps he was born in the wrong age. He would have fit right in as a military commander during the Gambit of Queens. The other consul, Hajvaz, Consul Sardat, he is wet behind the ears. What can I say? No man? <laughs> Barely a day over 35. Uh, won his election on <sighs> luck and good graces alone. He is... He has his heart in the right place, I think. But the reason why he's agreed to help the Chrysalis is largely because the Aurochs, for many, many years, have ignored him as the Consul of Thristi. I mean, arts and sciences, who really cares about that when you've got money and war, right? So... 
The chrysalis was able, I think, to appeal to his insecure sense of self, make him feel important by being a part of something bigger than he is. That's his deal. Hajvaz and Abramed are foolish, foolish men. They would have to be to work with a chrysalis. <laughs> exactly. It's not going to go over well for them. Really well, well, listen, I appreciate all your efforts in helping to dismantle the chrysalis and find old Mama Lightning, sway her to the side of the Alliance. Um, you know where to find me? Either in my office, it'll either be me or my aide in here, and the garden is yours to use as you please. During this whole conversation, I think because Oka is like Prince Oka Hien, and Drawn is not used to any of this sort of like political like conversation of this kind of setting, I think they've just kind of been like awkwardly sitting there and like letting Oka take the lead in the conversation, but there's a lot of paperwork here. And I think Jaron's eyes have been wandering and trying to like catch glimpses of like the different paperwork to find like information that maybe Krishma is not sharing with us. Anything that might be useful. Um, make a perception check. Ooh, 22. You catch a glimpse of what appears to be like the edge of some blueprints, like underneath like a stack of like other papers. And like the edge of it seems to like, something about it just piques your interest. And like the corner that's exposed seems to be like the edge of like almost like a basement area, right? That's labeled with like question marks. As we, as we are going to leave and Krishma Bhattavall's back is turned, I'm gonna try and swipe that piece of paper. Okay, make a sleight of hand check, and anyone who wants to can roll perception. <laughs> Ooh, 23! Rolling well tonight. 26. 21. Oh my god. <laughs> Ooh, gentle notices, Mercy, Oka, and Karishma do not. As the, like, four of you start to get up to, like, leave... Krishma like turns to like take more coffee and as her back is like slightly turned you reach forward and just swipe that blueprint right and like you like I think you're able to like very adroitly like maneuver it into a roll and like stuff it up your sleeve or wherever you want to keep it but gentle you see Jaron do this does Jaron notice that gentle has noticed I think you do Jaron is just going to wink at gentle I I don't know if gentle can wink I think gentle winks like or winks like Rihanna where it's just like just one eye at the same time. <laughs> Does Oka notice that? <laughs> you know what? Yes. Oka, you notice a very weird wink wink transaction between Jaron and Gentle. Uh, Gentle, are you are you okay? We can get going soon. We don't have to stay. I'm okay. Gentle can't lie. I had to think of a thing to say. <laughs> Come on. Let's go find Bud. Yes, let's. Full day ahead of us. Mercy gets up as well, like cracks her knuckles, and as on, on her way out says, Hey, uh, Consul Bataval, are you, um, are you single? Mercy, let's go. Okay, 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 I was just asking. And Mercy sort of like finger guns and winks at the Consul, like turns around to like stride out with, with the rest of you. And I think all of you except Mercy hear Consul Bataval mutter under her breath, Yes, but not for you. Uh... As all of you leave. Mercy, are you serious? Sitlali has been gone for like, what, six hours? We talked about this. We're Polly. We're cool. She's literally oh. with her shitty ex right now. Okay? 
still don't like that it's simple. Still really not a fan of that, but congratulations. I know, I know. Uh, thanks, gentle. Yeah, crushing it here. But, um, yeah, I... Sitlali's doing it for, I hope, the right reasons, okay? I think a part of them really does actually want... You know, it's not my place to share, actually. I will leave them to share that with you. So, Hans, you wanna go fight some monsters? You two go ahead. I think that I have some research to do. Research? Are you sure? Yeah, there's a lot of books that I brought with me that I haven't had a chance to fully read and annotate properly yet, and I could really use the time to do that. Jaron turning Are down you... the opportunity to hunt and fight a monster? What's going on? Are you afraid that I've outclassed you? <laughs> you could never outclass me. I guess we'll never find out, book boy. We could find out when you come back. We'll see. Um, before we go fight, I would like to get a new mask. That's okay. Actually, if what I remember about the monster fighting pits still remains, we'll both need masks to get in. So, it's time. Alright, while the two of you go fight some monsters and Jaron goes be a nerd, I guess, I'm gonna just uh, walk around and see if I can find Sitlali. I gotta fill them in about all this stuff. You're gonna, the you're gonna, gonna crash their date? I'm not gonna crash their date. It's just, it's been a night. And I told them to, you know, cast sending or whatever if they were in trouble or if they wanted to update me or they wanted an excuse to leave the date and they haven't. So I assume they're having a fun time, but I just want to check in, you know? I'm not being clingy, am I? Nah, nah, I'm not. So you're turning down an opportunity to fight monsters so you can go pine for your second who's on a Fuck date instead of working? off. Oka. This is work, I'm... okay? I'll meet up with you at the monster fighting pit with Sitlali in tow, okay? Yes, gentle? For the record, I think your amount of character for Sitlali is very cute. Okay, I'm leaving now. And <laughs> Mercy turns on her heel and like starts striding like through the lattice uh, halls of the uh, of the Heveli. And Oka looks at Jaron for a minute. Just be safe. Okay. You too. Don't let the, uh, monsters eat you. Don't worry. I think we'll be able to handle it. Gentle, take care of them, okay? Yeah, I don't. No, I mean, it's okay. I, I have medicines just in case things get a little rough. Uh, I don't know if Jaron's ever told you, but there's many stories of uh, us fighting things way bigger than we could have handled. I know, that's exactly why we hired you in the first place. Come on, let's go find a mask. For both of us. The monster fighting pit underneath the Queen's Gambit is a vast coliseum of violence and chaos. The air here is thick with shouts, cheers, screaming from the hundreds and hundreds, if not low thousands of attendees crowding every single space in this underground stadium. And all the way at the bottom of these tiered platforms, we see the arena itself, its floor made of swept stone, craggy rock, and sand, uh, littered with 
clotted blood and fresh blood as well, spilled and splattered all over the place. We see aisles where uh, uh, attendants move up and down, collecting bets for the next round of fights. And we also see a VIP box uh, toward the very bottom, the best seats in the house, uh, surrounded on all sides by Kusing Guild and Orox Guild bodyguards uh, as the high-paying attendees of this spectacular blood sport watch their fists clenched, uh, their uh, mouths grinning behind their masks. After all, every single person in this space has on a beautifully welded, unique mask. And now we sweep up these rows and rows of anonymous attendees all the way toward one of the entrances, one of these openings, one of these apertures in the rock to find two masked individuals in particular. Let's start with Oka. What kind of a mask are you wearing? They have got a Celian mask with two horns that come up and over their head and it just frames the top half so their mouth is still showing but it covers their eyes. And I think there are these like really fine, like turquoise scales that kind of like flicker like up and over the ridge of their head. And that's the one that Oka has. And they kind of like turn their head. Are you ready, Gentle? What kind of a mask does Gentle have on? I think in fitting with Gentle's old mask being comedy, this one is the tragedy mask. Um, but with, I think, three different colors streaming across it, the colors associated with the gods here. And I so think black, red, and gold? Yes, um, in that order. And I think it helps Gentle feel like they blend in more because it is, you know, keeping in, in idea with, like, local custom instead of going morosey. Um, and I think their hair is also down. Uh, normally they have their hair in a ponytail, but I think it's down just to look less like traditional gentle. Are you ready, gentle? Yeah. Okay, uh, well, the Orox Guild maybe sort of wants me dead. The Kusing Guild probably also wants me dead a little bit, at least. Uh, and the Chrysalis really wants me dead, so I think out of all the places in Dabathati, we're doing pretty good. If we do well enough in the pits, Lady Saram is going to recognize me. I would be a fool to think that she wouldn't, which means that if we do well enough, we'll get an audience with her, which means that we can ask about Bud. Are we gonna need names down here? No, no names down here. You either fight, you win, or you die. Let's do this. Oka heads down the stairs towards the monster fighting pit. Uh, Oka and Gentle, as the two of you sort of trot your way down the stairs, past all these bookies collecting bets, AAA over here, bets on the next empty monster, and like the, the next bookie on the other side of the aisle is going like, I really recommend betting against the people because, I mean, odds-wise, even though you're not going to get as big as a payout, you know, they're going like on and on as you go down, 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 down. Like past all these people, like you see like, you hear the clinking of coins exchanging hands, the rustling of papers as people write down their bets on pieces of parchment. You just hear like the pulsing and roaring of cheering and shouting. And I think there is a monster fight currently happening, sort of in like the final rounds, the final dregs of it. It is a massive creature that is quite familiar to you, 
Oka. Uh, it's one of those like uh, alpha chicken boys, right? Like the big four-legged ones with that huge sort of like poison sack on its throat. And there are three of them. They're currently fighting a party of four. And it seems like one of the four people are, is down and they're just completely torn apart. And also their skin is sizzling from like a huge puddle of acid that's been like like regurgitated upward. And it's, it's a real nasty fight with lots of screaming, like the sound of like flesh being rendered by claw and steel, the sound of sizzling acid and poison. And it's amidst all this chaos, this fumigation, that the two of you finally push your way close to the VIP box where people are collecting names for signups, right? And you see if uh, something about them seems vaguely familiar. Maybe you saw them a year ago, like a kind of rugged looking bodyguard in like studded leather armor being like, you don't look tough enough for this next fight. The lady wants a good show, uh-uh, and sort of like kicks like a dwarf out of the way. Uh, and then it's the two of you next. What have you got, Tilian? We've got a fight for Miss Saram. That's Lady Saram to you. Pardon, we're old friends. I'm sure she'll want to see me fight again. Old friends, you know how many mooks roll up here claiming to be old friends of Captain Saram? Yeah, and how many old friends are going to give her the kind of show that me and my friend here are? I don't like the attitude on your little split lip, you. And this, like, bodyguard starts stepping up to you. But then your eye catches a woman sitting perhaps ten feet down in the VIP box this person's guarding who raises a hand. And Gentle and Oka, the two of you see a young woman. Uh, in this like frilly, almost like Lolita dress wear. She's like, has like a parasol, like sort of just like leaned against her shoulder, uh, the long tapered ears of an elf. And she just sort of like turns her side profile uh, and you see like a black eye patch on that eye with like golden embroidery, like a circle stitched on it and like 10 X's around the circle and a single big X in the middle. And Lady Saram smiles when she senses you. And as she smiles, she exposes black gums and black teeth. And you just hear her go, let them through. And this big bodyguard goes, what? Yes, Miss Saram. I mean, Lady Saram. And like, backs off. Uh, opens up the gate to allow the two of you into like a waiting box for the next match. Um, are you ready to fight a monster? Honestly, after the shit that I've been fighting, monster kind of sounds nice. Are you ready? I could use this. The two of you hear that bodyguard sort of lean in behind you, right? You're like right up on like the edge of like the, the rink now. And it's kind of like there's like a low wall, sort of like a like an ice skating rink, right? Um, and no like net or cage to speak of. But as you see a person's body fly through the air, it hits an invisible sphere of like half sphere of force and like crumples onto the ground right in front of you. And you hear the bodyguard sort of lean over and whisper into Lady Saram's ear, maybe 10, 15 feet behind and above you. Uh, how many other uh, fighters should we let in? Because this next one's a doozy. I don't think just the two of them will. None. Let's see how they handle this one. Are you sure? The odds are... I mean, I don't know if anyone's gonna bet against... Don't worry about it. If they win, they win. And if they lose, they die. Yes, my lady. Okay. A big fight, then. Should we bet on ourselves? We could have at least made money. 
You know, I think that's pretty much... Isn't that what insider trading is? Yeah, but, I mean, if anywhere's gonna let that happen... Here, Gentle, I'll bet with you. One gold that you land the final blow. I'll bet two gold that you will. Fine, I'll raise you five. Five it is. Five it is. There's a ding, 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 as the final blow of this fight before you is landed, and the three monsters win. Uh, the last person is sort of, like, the three still up, like, adult chicken boys, like, jump on her and just sort of rip her to shreds. And there's, like, a crunch of, like, bone and a splatter of blood, and a, oh, God! And then silence. And there's, like, a magical bell ringing noise, ding, ding, as like half of the stadium groans and half of the stadium cheers and like an announcer voice like a reedy thin gnomish voice just lets out and that's a wrap folks looks like the three empty beasts are gonna win this one let's get our wranglers in there and clear the stage for the next fight sorry if you lost some money there but that's the name of the game folks if you win you win if you lose you die um, and we see, like, rushing out from, like, the sidelines, no fewer than ten on each side, like, um, bookies with, like, uh, long rods with, like, hoops on the ends. And they, like, approach the monsters who are really tired and wounded from the fight. And they, like, lasso, like, each limb, sort of like a bucking bronco being, like, attacked on all sides by a bunch of ropes. And you also notice that the, the hoops are seem to be electrified in some way. And they, like, sort of zap the monsters and they, and, like, fall over unconscious. And the monsters are dragged to like a special little grate with a portcullis in front of it toward the back of the arena the the steel portcullis goes up and the bookies drag the monsters like back into the depths of the grate uh and then the gate in front of the two of you swings open and like the crowd starts chanting and cheering and like applauding and getting ready for the next fight which is of course oka and gentle what do the two of you do oka puts a hand on gentle's shoulder for Bud, right? For Bud. I think I just start stretching, kind of like I do whenever it's time to do a hunt. Oka will walk out to the point where they can turn around uh, and look back up at Lady Saddam. Uh, and they do a little, like a tiny bow. You just see her up in the stands crack another black-toothed smile as she waves four delicate fingers at you. Oka will finish their little bow and then uh, turn to face the portcullis. The two of you stride out into the middle of the arena, and I don't know if it's something about the lights, something about the fact they're in the middle of a stage, something about the fact that thousands and thousands of people are watching you, but maybe both of your hearts begin to beat a little faster. It's just the two of you in this vast, like, 100 foot, 100 foot, like, rink, just in the middle of, like, a cavern. There's nothing around. It's all you, just your weapons and your expertise. And you hear the gnome, like, gnomish voice, like, announcer voice ring out again. He goes, all right, folks, this is the fight of the hour. The one unbeatable empty beast that no one's ever been able to put down until this point. Give it up for the Mimic! And the portcullis cranks up and out walks a person. Kind of a person. Uh, it looks exactly like a person, except it's not wearing any clothes at all. It's completely naked and it doesn't have a head. Uh, the stump of their neck 
exposes a neat rind of skin, fat, and muscle wound around a single white vertebrae, serrated in the middle. There's no blood at the stump, no sudden gush of wound, no crimson horror, just a headless stub. And its skin is pale, very pale, so pale you can see faint black veins pulsing just underneath the surface. And on their nude torso, you see just the barest wrinkle of skin, kind of like a crenellation, a scrunched up piece of fabric in velvet. And it appears unarmed. And on that, we are gonna cut to Jaron. So Jaron, <laughs> where have you been gallivanting off to to do your research? I think in contrast to the way that uh, Gentle and Oka have disguised themselves for the purpose of going into the monster fighting pits, Jaron has also attempted to take on like the bare minimum of a disguise. I think they have like a dubatta like wrapped around their head and around like the bottom half of their face. So you can still see like the contours of their horns like underneath the fabric, but you can't see the threads and you can't see what color it is. Um, and he's been kind of walking around Dabathati like that um, and eventually has like found his way to the Chrysalis headquarters, which I don't think is that difficult to find given their presence in the city right now and as they're approaching they kind of like snake into an alleyway pull out this document that they stole from Karishma Batfal and like study it uh, you pull your, your, you press yourself against the seedy wall of an alleyway as let's say like merchant wagons roll past and you hear like the hawking of people trying to advertise and sell their goods in the middle of this market street. You sort of smell of the fumes of like a nearby pile of garbage inside this alley and you unfurl the scroll, try to read it in this like shadowed light. And you realize it's a blueprint for what appears to be the headquarters of the chrysalis. There appear to be three levels. There's a ground level, second level uh, upstairs, and a basement level. And the ground level is mostly mapped out. You sort of see like a kitchen area that's labeled with like, this is the kitchen, this is the square footage. You see like a living space area with like the hearth, the fireplace, and like various objects labeled. And like a little door underneath a stairwell that like has been labeled with uh, entrance to dot 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 lair question mark question mark question mark and then like the other section of this blueprint has like um hypothetical sketches of what the basement could look like it's not solid it's a lot of conjecture the overall shape is decided it seems quite vast and the, like the edges are like uh perforated so you get the sense that karishma or whoever did this work doesn't know if the basement is actually much larger than the the, the upright structure itself and then, of course, the upstairs seems to be like mostly labeled like bedrooms for chrysalis preachers. There appear to be uh, two main entrances. There's like the big main door, and there's like a back door that leads directly into the kitchen. So Jaron uh, is going to like study this map one more time. I think they've been like stopping, pulling it out, like looking at it, and like doing that like over and over again as they've been traveling. And when they get to the chrysalis headquarters, they're going to make a beeline for that back door to the kitchen. Are there windows that are mapped out on this blueprint? Yes, or? windows are marked with an X as well, like all around the circumference of this building. But before we get there, Joran, you sort of like round the corner and like approach 
the Chrysalis headquarters, which are not difficult to find, and you see what used to be a dilapidated orphanage that has been rebuilt with like brand new wood paneling, like brand new gilded struts. Like a, there's like an additional like a balcony that wasn't there when the Paragon PCs were here first in Arc 1. Uh, the porch has been redone. It's like a completely remodeled building. Uh, it looks beautiful, frankly, and there's even, like, a garden out front, and you see kids, like, tending to root vegetables in the garden, it li like, children in little, like, chrysalis robes, right, right, like, with their parents nearby, like, teaching them how to plant seeds and, like, grow them, right, uh, and you see, like, a little, like, beehive being kept, like, a little, even, like, um, a greenhouse where you see, like, butterflies inside the greenhouse, like, flapping their wings against the translucent tarpaulin, uh, and there's, like, this kind of low wooden fence and, like, a swinging metal gate that leads, like, into the chrysalis headquarters. It doesn't appear to be guarded. What do you do? Jaron is going to just, like, go through that front gate just as if they're supposed to be here, as if they were, they have an appointment with somebody in the chrysalis, um, but he's still not going to walk into that main front door. I think Jaron's goal here is to be seen by as few people as possible, so he is going to try and, like, sneak his way around the back of the building and make his way in through the back door. Make me a general stealth check. What's 18 plus 14? Girl, what? I'm not a math gay, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's over 30. So... <laughs> uh, 32 or I'm something. <laughs> okay, no one freaking sees you. You blend right in. You just... You're a part of the chrysalis. No one like gives you a second glance. Even the butterflies fluttering around don't seem to notice your presence. I was gonna say uh, to help with blending in, like maybe because there's just so much activity going around, like in like in front of the chrysalis in the courtyard, um, of like people coming and going. Like maybe Jaron finds like a like a piece of cloth, like a clo like a piece of clothing or something that has the chrysalis uh, symbol on it, and then puts it on himself to make it seem even more like he's supposed to be here because he doesn't actually own any clothing that has their insignia. Could it be like a scarf? Because it's like wintertime, like a shawl that you just sort of like throw around yourself and like the, the end of the shawl has like a golden chrysalis embroidered on it. Like someone had yeah. hung it up like on like a fence post. Yeah, you pick that up yeah. and you swing it around yourself. And you're able to sort of go around the backside uh, of this little garden area where you see like a nicely like trimmed set of like hedge bushes. You see like a gardener with like big shears like trimming it up. It doesn't even look your way. And you see like little stone stairs leading up into the side entrance, unguarded. Uh, Jaron is going to just walk right in. I don't think he's gonna try and do it like slowly or anything like that. Just walking in as if like, yeah, I work in the in the back kitchens, um, and walk mm -hmm. in. As you approach the door, you notice. Oh, uh, roll perception. Eighteen. Okay, you walk in through the door, and as the door sort of swings shut behind you, and Jaron, you go inside. We actually hold on the door as it swings, and we pan up to see sort of disguised within like moss crawling up the stone like a glowing sigil of an eye above the door that just seems to pulse a little bit as Jaron goes in and then we cut back to Jaron inside inside the chrysalis headquarters you're in a kitchen a bustling kitchen you sort of smell all sorts of like stews cooking like potatoes go in root vegetables and there's like no fewer than four or five people in here they seem to be cooking up a lunch right uh, for various chrysalis members and they don't spare you a second glance 
I think you're able to just like cut your way through the kitchen. Like we see a montage, like we just go with you like horizontally as people bustle past you and you just walk like you belong there. Maybe like stepping out of the way when you notice step out of the way, right? You know, like turning like a dance that you know exactly the, the footwork to. So where are you headed? I think going around here, honestly, it makes Duran kind of feel like fighting back in Moreau's. Like the way that Duran needs to like slip and slide on the ice in order to like spar with somebody, I think it kind of reminds him of that feeling. And um, so it's kind of comfortable in a way, um, kind of contrasting to this weird uh, location that he's in. And he is, I think, making a beeline for the layer question mark, the area on the map that was tagged as such. Uh, so you're able to, you exit the kitchen and you enter like a hallway space with like brand new carpet, like brand new paints, like new wallpaper. Everything here looks like brand new. You swear you can smell like the fresh coat of paint in here, right? Uh, and you see just like kids bustling along, laughing, like down to the left, deeper into like the living room area of this hallway. You see what appears to be a recruitment table set up and like a, a line of people lined up, like signing contracts or paperwork or something. And no one's really sparing you a second glance. And all the way to your right down the hallway is like the main door, right? And there's a flight of stairs that lead up onto like a second floor. But the space you're headed to is a door um, underneath the stairs uh, with like a brass handle. While Jaron is moving through the Chrysalis headquarters, he is like paying attention to all of the people that are here. Is there some sort of physical indication of people's rank within the Chrysalis, like through uniform or some other uh, like badges or anything like that? Uniform seems to be it. Common chrysalis worshippers seem to just have like emerald green robes with like the embroidered gold on the back. Uh, but it appears higher ranking chrysalis have special little extra stitches like on the, the shoulder of the robe that almost seem to resemble like little feathers of wings on their shoulders. And the more feathers they is, have, the higher rank. Is there any particular area inside of the building that the higher ranked officials tend to be going? They seem to go all over the place, but what's interesting is the one place no one seems to go to is the entrance to the quote-unquote lair. We're still gonna go in there. Okay. You try the knob, it's locked. Can I try picking the lock? Do you have thieves tools? Do I have thieves tools? I do. I am a rogue after all. Rose sleight of hand with advantage. 16? Uh, the lock clicks open. As you like shimmy like the pig, it clicks open and no one even notices you, right? And the door swings open on well-oiled hinges. And you see before you sort of like a, a darkness looming and like a set of stairs leading down into what appears to be a basement. What do you do? Drawn is going to make sure to close the door quietly behind him, lock it again, and then start making his way slowly, carefully down this hallway keeping their ears and eyes perked for any sign of activity. Uh, yeah, as you go in and you close the door behind you, I think we, the audience, sort of see like a cut of V doing the exact same thing almost a year ago, like lock picking, cr cranking open the door and closing it behind her. And now it's you, but as the door closes, we see it's Jaron and you are plunged into complete darkness. You can't see anything. Dron is not going to, not going to pull out a torch or anything like that. He is going to move by, like feeling the walls, using the walls as bearing to move himself down the hallway. Roll survival. Eight plus thirteen, twenty-one. Okay, step by step by step, 
your hand sort of like touching smooth wooden panels that eventually transition into rough stone as you go down, 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 deeper than any regular basement would go, lower and lower until your nose fills with the smell of like underground, like dampness, lichen and moss. Right, these natural smells sort of rise up to your nose. Down, down, down. You walk, you're, you just walk downward for 30 seconds, at least. That's a long ass time to be walking straight down. Until like finally you, you like go to make another step and you don't, you know what I mean? Like you're expecting another step and there isn't one and maybe you like catch yourself there. Um, for a moment there, as you stand there, make me a perception check. 12? You smell just like sort of like damp silt and soil and dirt. Your ears are straining. You can sort of like barely hear, like just on the fringes of your perception, like the people on the bustling from like up above you. You know what I mean? It's like a faint memory, an echo of an echo. Far, far away, a world, a lifetime away. You think you hear something else though. Uh, with a 12, it kind of sounds kind of distantly, but much closer than the people's voices. There's maybe several of these. And you also smell rust? Kenjaron recognized this sound from his travels around Andake with the hounds as like the sound of an empty monster. Does it sound like that or is it different? It sounds like there are multiple creatures here eating. Okay. Uh, Jaron is going to pull out his, uh, his short bow. And he is going to quietly try and make his way around the monsters without drawing attention. Darkness? In, complete <laughs> In complete darkness? complete darkness. We're going to try. Pressed up against the wall. Pressed up against the wall as much as he can, taking up as little room as possible. Roll stealth with disadvantage. Uh, I don't like that. Uh, 21. Pressed up against the rough-hewn wall. Like, the wall here is, like, really roughly cut. Some of, like, the sharp edges, like, dig into, you know, into your leather armor and, like, sort of poke and prod at, like, the back of your neck. But as you sort of, like, skitter along the wall in complete darkness, you don't see anything, but you hear the noises get louder. <laughs> like, stuff like that. Like, one of them gets real loud, so you surmise maybe 10 feet in front of you, and then it sort of, like, skitters by. The monsters, if they are monsters, maybe sound like they're stationary. Um, and I think your foot bumps into some, like a hard corner of something, like as you're like easing your way to the left um, in front of you. And you sort of pull your foot back and you continue to like, like shimmy your way down the wall. Um, and you get the sense that whatever you, you bunked your, the tip of your boot against was kind of maybe metallic or a lot harder than the rock you're sort of shimmering, shimmering your way against. You shimmy and shimmy and shimmy. And you surmise there are maybe 10 to 20 of these beasts based on just like the amount of noise. And you also smell now as you continue to sort of like shimmy, like animal filth, stench, the weird lack of smell that empty monsters have that their blood produces. It doesn't smell like rust uh, or a sunbeam uh, or cut grass or anything like that. Their blood smells just like nothing, nothing at all. And you get that like, pervasive sense of void just stuffing its way like up your nostrils pressing in on all sides that's almost as damp and um, overwhelming as the smell of rust which you now realize is blood 
blood and flesh and sundered bone. And after a couple of minutes, you can shimmy no more as you bump into another wall. You can, it sort of forms an L. So you can like, like press, you know what I mean? Like press your back against like this wall and start to shimmy your way across horizontally. Yeah, I as think Jaron is going to do that. Because he is specifically looking for like some sort of uh, library, some sort of office, a, a laboratory of any kind, just a place where they store information here about the inner workings of the chrysalis and what they're doing. Make an investigation check with disadvantage. 21. <laughs> That's my number for the night. Oh my god. Okay, yeah. As you continue to shimmy, um, you reach what feels like a corner. Do you continue down the corner or do you work your way across the gap? Can I hear anything or smell anything different between the two or feel anything like different between the two spaces? There are no like snarfling sounds beyond the corner. You intuit maybe it's a corridor. Then yeah, let's turn the corner. 21. As you turn the corner, you don't realize there is a step. And you stumble, I think. And you make some noise. And all of a sudden, all of the snarfing stops inside the chamber to your right. And you hear growling. Jaron is going to book it down the hallway. We're going wherever this is the corridor leads. Uh, as you turn to start sprinting, you hear <laughs> as like, like you hear like nails scrabbling over concrete and like, I said there were like 10 to 20 of these things as you hear 10 to 20 of these unseen beasts begin to pursue you. You turn and you start to book it, right? And as you're just running full force, you slam into a wall, full force in front of you, just full force, right? So I need you to make a constitution saving throw to see how much damage you take from slamming into this wall. What'd you get? Eight? Eight. Yeah, not, not very good at all. Uh, you take 14 points of bludgeoning damage uh, as you just bounce off of this wall, and I think you like fall onto your ass, right? And like your head is like like spinning, like you're like uh, like disoriented in the middle of this darkness, and like the snarfing and like the growling and like uh, you hear like saliva like dribbling and like, uh, uh, like snapping teeth and rending like the air around you begins to descend upon you. Uh, you can almost like feel their hot breath getting closer and closer as maybe you're trying to like like scramble to a stand. And then you hear a voice from the right of you, uh, maybe 10 or 15 feet away, go, stop. And just like that, all of the growling and the drooling and like the sniveling and the scrabbling stops. You hear like a couple of stray <laughs> from the creatures and the voice goes, go back to eating. And you hear the creatures turn around and retreat away from you. There is a hiss as a torch shimmers into existence, maybe 15 feet away. And I think your eyes need like take a hot second to adjust to this because you've been in complete darkness for five to 10 minutes. And maybe like you blink, your pupils dilate and get small. And when you like blink through this adjustment, you see a man standing in the hallway to your right, maybe 10 or 15 feet away. He's got pale skin and this like golden kind of like blonde hair sort of gelled up and swept back. And he's wearing these like deep, not a robe, but a deep emerald suit with like 
the most amount of feathers, right? Like on his shoulders, almost like as pauldrons that you've seen, golden stitching. And he's very handsome um, in a rather bland way. Uh, He smiles and the smile doesn't quite reach his piercing blue eyes. And he sort of like holds the torch out to you and says, are you lost little lamb? How did you do that? Follow me. And Adam turns around and continues to stride down the hallway. Drawn will stand up and follow. I think at a slight distance. As you follow Adam, Jaron, we are gonna like pull up of, through like many layers of sediment and stone and rock and dirt and filth up past a thin layer of sand to pan up to Oka and Gentle standing side by side facing the pale mimic. Roll initiative. I got a 25, Eleven. by the way. 11. Okay. I got a nat 20 my first roll, so. Holy fuck. Gentle, you go first. The pale mimic is maybe 20 feet away. It has just sort of walked out and is now standing there. And it doesn't have a head, so you don't know if it's who it's looking at. But it's just sort of standing there with its like arms by its sides. Seems to just be waiting. I want to give this thing a once-over and see literally anything about it. Um, what would be best for that? First, at the top of your turn, I need you to make a charisma saving throw. Of course. Okay. Oh boy, that's a, a 12. That is not sufficient. You are going to take 18 points of psychic damage as that little wrinkle on its chest splits open to reveal a swirling red eye with like an iris that's constantly changing shapes. And the iris sort of like swirls from side to side and then locks onto you gentle. So you're going to take that psychic damage and you gain the following condition. Whenever the mimic takes damage, you take twice as much damage of the same type. Also, whenever the mimic regains hit points, uh, whenever you regain hit points, the mimic regains twice as much. Uh, I think like as like the eye locks on you, you are just racked with this like huge pulse of pain that just hits you like a tidal wave, right? And like, it's like your brain is rattling around like inside your head and like everything seems to shake like iridescent colors. And this like one eye is just trained on you swirling. And that sort of like dies down and the eye will never, even as you move and take your turn, never keep its gaze off of you. Oh boy, huh? What I'm going to do then is punch it. Okay, (laughs) punch that thing. Uh, I'm going to punch it four times. Okay. You run toward it? I don't like the way you frame that. Yes. As you approach it by running, it jogs backward in a perfect mimicry of your movement. How close is it to the wall? Actually, that's not true because you're about in the middle of the arena. So the wall is more like 40 feet away. Oh, then that's fine. That number maps out. Okay. So then I'm going to punch it four times. Okay. So you're going to try to like back it up into the wall so it can't keep moving? Yes. Yeah. Uh, As it like, as its back like presses against the wall, it continues to move, kind of like strafing against the wall as you approach it and close the distance. So make your attack rolls. Um, Okay. So I got a 17, 25, 18, and 26. The 25 and the 26 hit. The 17 and 18 do not. Roll damage four times anyway. It gets two reactions. Uh, I'm going to let those misses stay misses. 
that's just you're gonna choose to not not give me the reaction and let them let them miss yeah of course okay great so then just roll two hits roll two hits okay so that is 20 damage total uh describe to me what it looks like i think it's very much gentle still trying to figure out what this thing's deal is so they're a lot more like deliberate it's sort of a very uneven pacing of each punch being thrown just trying to see like if i can psychic psych it out at any point where are you targeting it on its body i don't want to say the eye but the eye (laughs) okay uh i think how the two misses resolve is as you punch forward it punches back in like just a pure mirror movement of you. And the two misses are maybe your fists colliding with each other and they just sort of bounce off of each other. But the two hits are you're able to sort of like, your reaction time is just a little too fast for it. You slip underneath its guard and you bap, bap, you like punch it twice on the eye. And as you sock it, it twice, you feel pain ricocheting through your body as we see like close up on you, like uh, indentations in your skin from like invisible forces, right? As like, you take twice the damage that you deal. That's gonna be 40 points of damage on yourself. Not doing great already. You do sock it in like the jelly of its eye though. So you sort of like, like you see it sort of like reverberate and like the eye sort of like squanches closed a few times. Uh, and it like its rib cage seems to sort of like concave and it like staggers a little bit against the wall. You get the sense that this thing is pretty frail. Is that your turn? Yes. Uh, I'm just going to tell Oka, be careful. Uh, attack it while it's against this wall. Okay. Uh, while you're still cornering it up against that wall, Oka, what do you do? Oka, they don't know exactly what happened. They, uh, I think in that moment, were like taken aback and they flash back to the ship, to the Court of Ravens, to that horrible fucking place. And they remember exactly what they did to that eye. And they know what that is. And they're frozen there for half a moment before Gentle starts moving and they are brought back to the present. And they are going to, in one fell swoop, uh, they're not as fast as Gentle, but they're fast. And they come out after and this tattoo on their arm starts to glow like hot. Like there are embers underneath their skin that starts to like roil. And it gets so hot that the whole tattoo becomes red. And once Oka is like right up on there with it, they kind of just lift their arm up and the entire tattoo comes up off their arm, solidifies into a blade made of blood. Oka grabs the hilt and they bring it down uh, like right underneath where Gentle is punching, like in like right underneath their elbow, like into the eye. Um, and I will also use a bonus action to get both of my rights on it because Culling Edge starts already on fire. Uh, but I think there's this long line of red electricity as it just tears down and into this thing's eye. They're going right for the eye, right in the middle. Go for it, make an attack roll. Okay, that was a natural 20 though for my extra attack. Natural 20 plus one, so that's a 29 to hit. And the first one was like an 11 or whatever. Natural 20 though. Wow, okay. Obviously the natural 20 is gonna hit. Uh, So do you want the miss to miss or do you wanna let it hit and take the reaction? I'll take the reaction. Okay, so roll your damage first for the regular hit. 27. Gentle, what are you at? 21. Okay. 
So with your na you have a natural 20, Oka. So with your blade, as you plunge it into the, you know, into this thing's torso, you see like a wound open up inside of Gentle's chest, crimson, right? Burning. And like Gentle, like you, it feels like the soul has been punched out of your body as like it's, it feels like Oka's like flaming tattoo sword like cuts through you. But Oka, you've got a natural 20, so you can take that narrative boon to save Gentle's ass if you want to, if you can sell it to me. Yeah, so Oka's whole thing is blood tethering. And I think that as like they're like reaching into this thing to feel its blood, like this tattoo is made of their blood. They're connecting to it in this moment. That was like gonna be their next attack, right? That they were like gonna tether themselves to it to feel it. And I think as they go in, like this this sense of like necromancy and blood and magic like swerves really hard to the left, right? And to gentle, to which Oka sees that wound open up on them and like makes a realization. And I would like to try to use my brand of tethering to overwrite whatever kind of fucking bullshit that this thing has on Gentle right now. Like whatever network of magic and weave and blood that is connecting the pain of these two beings, Oka wants to tear that out of Gentle and hold on to it with their fucking hand. As that real, it's like bullet time, right? As your sword slides in, you see Gentle's like, even though Gentle has a mask on, like you get the sense that they're they're not doing so hot right on their face. Um, you hear a voice sparking up from your soul as Vinash, like a Tesla cannon, coils to life and just sort of crackles like in inside the caverns of your head. Profanity! A soul bond. Where did it learn to do that? Untether it, my vessel. Uh, and Vinash is going to help you cast that spell. Uh, use your blood magic to break the bond that the mimic has on Gentle. Yep, and I think it, it, it uh, Oka, like, sparks their whole face kind of go, like, like, they just get electrocuted and I think they, like, bite the air between Gentle and this, like, just, like, bite it and I think that, like, their mouth comes away bloody and they, like, tear back like a fucking feral animal because that's what they're doing because they're possessed by a god, okay? That's what's going on. I love uh, and there's a like, line of red static uh, hooks onto this mimic thing as Oka like tears it, pulls it out of their mouth and holds it. You remove this thing's ability to do what it did to Gentle. Uh, you tear that magic like out of out of the ether, out of the weave, and you it comes away bloodied and crimson, and then it sloughs off into like this black void, nothing like down like like so your mouth is like caked in black gore, like down like your throat and like down your torso, and gentle, uh, instead of being knocked unconscious, you are simply reduced to one. Uh, as all of that washes over you, right? All of that insanity. Um, and this thing just sort of like, like sort of twitches and rides against the wall as you see like its eyes sort of like shudder, like turn from crimson, like into like a grayish color, almost like its eyes dying. Yes, Oka? Do I still get to do damage from that 20? Yes. So roll, roll double dice. 41 points of damage. Uh, what does the second attack look like? Uh, I think, like, I assume that that was a little violent for it, whatever magic that was. And I think Oka pulls on it and just, like, keeps their sword there. So it impales itself on their sword as it is wrenched toward them. Uh, and they, like, whip it around, they, like, whip it around so that Gentle has a full 
view of it. Just just to get it in Gentle's line of punch. As you whip it around with it impaled like on your sword, this thing's sort of like flailing. It's sort of like sloughing like black gore down its front. Like its eyes sort of turning like dark gray. Like the wrinkle sort of closes up and you sort of see like, like oozing out through that crenellation in its chest. And on its turn, you see to your horror, Oka, uh, what arm is your tattoo on? My left arm. Oka is ambidextrous. You, of course they are. Uh, you see on its left arm, like the black veins rising to the surface uh, as like melting into existence on its skin is a perfect replica of your tattoo. And you see like, like black flames and this sort of like fleshy gore like rip out of its skin as it like sort of form a blade and it like tries to punch backward at you. Uh, what's, uh, what's your armor class? 16. Uh, but it is afflicted with my brand of... Oh, no. Tell me that wasn't a nat 20. I got a nat 1. <laughs> I, I am not like, kidding. lose a soul bond. It's doing its best. With a nat 1, I don't know if it hits. I think it, like, jabs backward at you, but, like, it can't get you. And with its nat 1, gentle. I'm gonna give you an opportunity attack. Gotcha. Okay. Perfect. Let me roll... Uh, a million dice real quick then. I think my hand is also glowing a telltale green with this one. I got a 15, 23, 22, and 28. How do you kill it? I think Gentle, despite their injuries, is still single-minded on just wanting to destroy this thing. They don't know if that was a one-time trick or not. Um, And their hands are glowing that sickly green with the hand of harm. And is it still on your sword, Oka? It is. With an almost, like, dogged feral tackle, I think it, like, slams it to the ground and just starts hitting it until Gentle is certain it is gone. And then as that sort of comes over them, they just simply roll over, just not doing well. And I think there's a moment where, like, Oka was kind of feral with god energy, right? And then they see Gentle just, like, pummeling this thing, and they kind of, like, that's not anything Gentle had done before. And they waver, and and once Gentle rolls over, I think Oka is there, uh, and they try to bring that life into their hands. Gentle. Gentle? Yeah. Uh... I'm not doing great. Um, I, yeah, no, I stabbed you really hard. Here, let yeah, me, let no, me. I can heal myself. I just, I wanted to let fight me. more. Oh. We can always go for a second round. Uh, but I don't think you're doing that well, gentle. Uh, and Oka's going to cast Healing Hands, which is going to give you 13 HP back. Beautiful. You put your hands on Gentle. This thing's freaking dead. Uh, Gentle, like, pummeled it into a pulp, right? It's sort of, like, just, like, broken bone and just, like, black gore splattered out underneath it. Twitches a few times, and then it just goes limp. And as, like, Oka, you lay your hands on Gentle, I think the realization that you're in an arena comes back to you. As, like, as you were razor-focused on this thing, every all the other distractions just, like, wiped away. Like, you were in the zone, right? And now it just comes crashing back like a tidal wave. You hear just, like, roars, like, cheering, booing, jeering, like, groaning, just, like, screaming and shouting, and, like, you hear, like, the gnome's voice sort of swim back into focus. 
incredible performance. Who could have guessed the two people could have defeated the Mimic, our undefeatable empty beast? You saw it here first, folks. Now pay up, pay up, because those odds were few. If you bet on them, we get ready to get rich tonight, right? Just like ringing out, ringing out, ringing out. And like gentle as you're getting your bearings, this thing is just like freaking like crumpled, gory, dead underneath you. Like, the stadium sort of starts to quiet down as you, both of you see Lady Saram in the stands sort of stand up because there's some sort of commotion happening in the stands here. She's standing up not to look at the two of you, but to sort of look up with kind of like mild curiosity up into the stands as like three Kusing slash Aurochs guild bodyguards like wrench someone out of the stands. Like a masked person who has sort of like has like a butterfly mask on um, and they like grab the mask and actually throw it off. And like the crowd is like jeering and like, like, like groaning and like what's going on? And even though no announcer is like, oh, looks like there's some sort of commotion happening in the stands here. Sorry to sour the victory dance, friends. Uh, and we see that this person uh, has like a chrysalis tattoo sort of like etched up like their neck and up the side of their face that the mask was concealing. Uh, and the gnome goes, huh, a chrysalis agent here in the pits of the Aurochs Guild, unheard of. Um, as like the three bodyguards like wrestle this person who's like this sort of like maybe man in his fifties um, to Lady Saram, who cocks her head, says something inaudible. There's a nod. And then Lady Saram addresses the crowd, turns around like a freaking Roman emperor and like raises her hands up two thumbs up and then turns them down and the entire crowd lets out a cheer right as like the bodyguards like tie up this like 50 year old man who spits in, like in lady saram's face right uh but she just sort of <laughs> wipes it away uh and the guards like sort of like have him totally restrained and then throw him over like the wall of the rink like onto the ground in front of you all um, maybe like uh, 50 or 60 feet away from you. And as like the guy uh, like rolls around like on the ground, like his body getting caked up with like old blood and dust and sand, the shouting from the crowd all around you forms a cohesive word that they're all kind of chanting. Chirp, chirp, chirp. Butcher, butcher, and like the gnome, like a uh, voice says, "Oh, the people have spoken. Looks like we're calling for the butcher. Give your hands up for the judge, the jury, the executioner of the monster fighting pit, the beast that slays those who disobey our rules here, or those who try to infiltrate our ranks. Give it up for butcher." And the portcullis on the other end of the re arena opens. And gentle, you see two eyes open up in the arena, as, as tall as like a person, maybe a horse or something. And striding out, lumbering on four paws with like thick white fur, like really large, much larger, twice or three times as large as the last time you saw him. Bud. Oh, my Bud comes out, looks up and around with like these big, bright, like lychee black eyes, like tongue lolling, looks real happy to be here, has a collar on, brand new collar you've never seen before, with a tassel you've never seen before either, as the crowd continues to chant, butcher, butcher, as Bud the butcher 
uh, pads over to this writhing chrysalis man. Uh, does He doesn't, like, Bud doesn't seem to notice the two of you yet, because you're, like, on the other end of the arena. And you see Bud sort of cock his, like, big head, like his floppy ears go to the side. <sighs> like, like, just panting down at this man, like, slobbering down on him, and he's going, No, stop! Please! No! And Bud rips him to shreds. Look what you've done to my boy. I told you he was fine. We cut to Jaron. Jaron. You follow Adam down this darkened hallway until uh, he leads you down like a series of twisting turns and like just ve- like he knows exactly where to go, but this place is like labyrinthine. I think with your survival check from earlier, you get the sense that you're able to find your way out. You're like, I think you're doing your hardest to like memorize the turns and like where they go and like how to trace your foot- footsteps back. But I think you're able to do it with like pretty good confidence until Adam leads you to a door. The end of a nondescript hallway, just a regular wooden door. He opens it up and you see an office. Uh, with sort of like carved walls, like a chandelier hanging from like from the ceiling. Smaller than Karishma Bataval's office, certainly less airy because it's underground, but there's still a kind of um, dusty opulence to it. Uh, you sort of see shelves stacked with gems and globes full of like glowing light. You see like strange monster parts suspended in amber and liquid. You see like a, a desk strewn with paper similar to Karishma's, but like the ink almost seems to be like blood, like blood ink, like scrawled on like various like thick pieces of parchment. There's a, a desk, a big leather chair behind it and a wooden chair in front of the desk. Adam walks in, places uh, the torch in a sconce, right, by by the door. Gestures for you to take a seat as he plops down on the leather leather chair. Jaron is going to look around the office, kind of taking in all of the different, I guess, like, furnishings of it. Like, are there bookshelves around? Does it look like there's another entrance to this room somewhere? Uh, this seems to be the only way in and the only way out. There are no windows. Only one door. Uh, there are books, books as well as scrolls, and you see something interesting, a framed, I think, um, photograph, and I think maybe you would have encountered photographs from, like, uh, trading with, like, Uhan sailors or whatnot. This is a new kind of technology that's able to, like, capture, capture, like, an image, right, with technology, not magic. Uh, but all of the photographs, as you know they're called, are, uh, black and white usually, but this one pops with color. Uh, and it's sort of like a small one, like a framed one, just like on a, on a shelf behind Adam. Uh, and it's a picture of him uh, in like a place you don't really recognize. And he's wearing kind of odd clothes that you don't really recognize either. Sits down. Jaron is going to take a seat in the chair in front of the desk. Jaron Carter, is it? How do you... And Jaron is going to, like, remove the dubata from, like, his face at this point. How do you know who I am? <laughs> it's my job to know who everyone is in Dabathati. Everyone who matters, of course. In the words of destiny. And, like, that last word, destiny, drips with sarcasm. How kind of you to say that I matter to destiny. What makes you? you think that? Do I? I suppose time will tell. 
Why are you here, Jeron Cotter? Curiosity. Mostly. Curiosity? I... I've heard so much about the chrysalis. Since arriving here, your presence is everywhere. You have to excuse me, I couldn't help but be curious about what exactly it is that you do here. <laughs> do you know who I am? I assume you'll tell me. My name is Adam. I am the Imago of the Chrysalis. I used to serve someone else, our speaker, but she has been predisposed. Predisposed? And do you have a replacement for your speaker? Someone else you respond to now? Did you stroll into my office with the CV and resume in hand? <laughs> I'm not looking for a job. I'm simply asking if the position has been filled. Would it interest you if I said it has not? What would this position entail, exactly? Interesting that you come here. I am not usually an ignorant believer or advocator of fate. But it does seem that there are larger forces at play, perhaps, that have brought us two together here. Now, do you believe in fate, Jaron Cotter? Fate. <laughs> and Jaron just kind of like looks around at the office, kind of nervously, and then looks back at Adam. No. We all have choices. Fate is just the coward's way of refusing to make one. Well spoken. And your choices have led you here. By your own free will, your own power, your own ability and agency, you have found your way to me. Not a lot of people get to talk to me, Jaron. That's a compliment. Well, aren't I lucky? Not lucky good at what you do. You seem to know a lot about me, but I don't really know very much about you. You sit here in this office, admittedly a nice, impressive office, and you claim to be, what? The head of this... Not even the head, actually, since you answered to someone else. How do I know that you even have the power that you claim to have here? You love Oka. Don't you? Holding hands with the paragon of Sen through my streets, whispering sweet nothings in each other's ears. It's very quite sweet, actually. I think it's lovely. What are you interested? Why pay such attention to us? <laughs> no, I personally am not motivated by romance. I am motivated by something much greater, something that I think you can sympathize with, Jaron. I figure you know this already, but it's worth it to ask. Did you know that the Paragons are prophesized to die? I do, and I also know that prophecy is finicky. So we are in agreement. We're on the same page here, Jaron. I think we might be more similar than you think. You see, the prophecy goes one way. 
All eight paragons and their god shards, yes, will sacrifice their lives in order to stop the stranger, or so you call her, from destroying the world, or so you assume. But, like you said, prophecy is finicky. You know, the dream prophets of too long speak of fate as a river, and of special moments in time where fate cannot so firmly be decided as divergence points. The Emperor, for example, was supposed to die. There were prophecies with that vision etched into the weave. But your boyfriend, your partner, diverted that river of fate from its course. So can you. And you're proposing that you have a way to make that happen? <laughs> Old Mama Lightning. And he sort of like swivels around in his chair, right? And like looks at you, cocking his jaw to one side. She is the co-founder of the Aurochs Guild. 90, 95 years old, human woman. She's a criminal. Criminal through and through. Ah, the stories I have heard of all the pain she's inflicted, all the families she's destroyed. The drugs she's run through these streets, the corruption she's seeded into the heart of Dabathati. Trust me when I say it's not a conjecture when I assert that Old Mama Lightning has hurt more people than she has helped. Besides, she's on the Raven Queen's door at this point already, being what, 90, 95 years old? How much longer can she survive for? Here's my deal, Jaron Cotter. You don't even have to do anything, really. Stop Oka from rescuing her. Because we have her. The chrysalis, I mean. If Old Mama Lightning dies, then the prophecy comes undone. The eight paragons won't be there to sacrifice their lives to stop the stranger. The future becomes unstitched. And you, sweet morosy lamb, can suture fate together however you want, can't you? You say that we assume the stranger is here to destroy the world. Tell me then, Adam. What is the stranger here to do? What does she want? She simply wants to ease everyone's suffering and usher in a new world, one free of the shackles and pain of this one. You always speak so vaguely, all of you. It wouldn't hurt to be a little specific. How exactly does she plan on taking away our suffering? Do you want me to show you? Yes. This is not a blessing I bestow on very many people. In fact, I have not given this gift to anyone. Before I show you what mother can do for you, for all of us, I need you to just, um, come to a verbal agreement with me, let's say, that you will consider my offer. Can I insight check this verbal agreement? Go for it. Seven. There don't appear to be any consequences. It's just a verbal agreement. Or rather, Jaron, I don't know if you're able to intuit what they are. And a question for you as the GM, just to clarify, it was simply to consider the offer? Yes. 
to think about it, to consider it. I'll consider your offer. Adam smiles. When you say that, do you say that with honesty and like with like your, of your own free will coming out of your mouth, right? Okay. Yes. When you say I'll consider your offer after Adam uh, phrased it as a agreement, you feel the weave sort of like tighten a little bit around yourself and then just sort of like loosen. Uh, but it's real subtle because you're not a spellcaster, so I don't know if you can intuit the subtleties of that. Uh, and Adam just smiles and says, perfect. Then allow me to show you. Uh, he holds out a hand, his left hand, and nods at you to put your hand in his. Jaron will, and he will pull Adam in slightly as he does that. And I want to meet her. <laughs> One step at a time, at least by her dinner first. And Jaron, what does a happy ending look like to you? For Jaron, the ideal ending to all of this mess, all of this heartache, to make it all worth it. For Jaron, the end looks like the Paragon War, sure, happens. The stranger is defeated, no longer a threat to Andake. All eight Paragons survive the end of that war. All of their friends, the hounds, they all survive. And we all get to live afterwards together, calm, happy. Maybe not quite healthy given the hounds' dynamic, but we're all together at least. And I think one particular image that like Jaron would see in all of this is Oka, Kane, and Jaron. I think lying in bed together after this has all been said and done. And I think Oka is in the middle and Kane and Jaron are just kind of like on the side, like consoling them, I guess, after everything that has happened. That is the exact sequence of sequence of images you get, with one significant difference. Um, there's nothing in these images to suggest that the stranger is defeated or gone. It's just like a series of like happy images of like you and Kane and Oka, you and like uh, all of your friends smiling and laughing. Like you see like beautiful fields of green. You see like life flourishing all around you. You see the stars are back. Altangers back in in the sky. Everything like the land looks new, refreshed, rejuvenated. And like everywhere you look, there's no suffering. There's no pain. People are just laughing and happy and joyous, right? There's no conflict. There's no war. Nothing. It's just nothing bad and then the vision ends as like Adam let's go of your hand go ahead Amna. what's wrong with the image with your insight check something is amiss but you don't know what it's just sort of like a little feeling a little voice in the back of your head right but it's a small one because everything else is exactly how you imagined it Adam leans back that's what I can give you. That's what the stranger, as you call her, can give you. In order to consider your offer fully, I need to know how you did that back there. You spoke to them. Do they have a language? Language is such a invention of the real, the existent. Don't you think? We don't 
speak to each other. They recognize me as someone they should listen to. You understand? You're asking for a lot here, Jaron. You want to meet the stranger, as you call her. You want to know how our creatures work. You want powers. <laughs> you want the ability to understand. All I'm asking for from you, Jaron, is to be a distraction. Not to even act, but to impose inaction. That's all. And again, old Mama Lightning, she... Even if she wasn't a paragon, even if she wasn't an important part of destiny choosing her, she's a criminal. She's brought so much suffering before the Cataclysm. Surely you wouldn't go to bat for someone like her, would you? And there's also the fact that, well, you and I, we're on the same side here, Jaron. We are both maligned by fate. We have both been forgotten by destiny. We're not chosen. We're not paragons. We're agents of our own change. Will you join me? It is bold of you to assume that I would want to be chosen by a fate like this. Do you think I want to be abandoned by the gods the way that the paragons have? <laughs> no. I don't want that. And I don't want that for them either. You and I, we are not on the same side, but we might not be on opposite sides either. I'm not proposing a long-term friendship or relationship, Jaron Kader. I'm proposing a temporary alliance. If you stop Oka Hien from saving old Mama Lightning's life, I will give you all the answers you seek and more. And then we can part ways. Wipe our hands of this alliance. We can even meet at the end and fight each other if that's where our roads will take us. But for now, I think this might be in both of our benefits. What do you say? I will consider your offer. He holds out his hand for you to shake. That's all I'm asking for again. Jaron will shake his hand. Podcast editing for this episode is by C. Thomas of Oka Hien fame. Toss them a follow on Twitter at PieSharpArt. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and ExplainTrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out ExplainTrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons. Azura, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Purple Mouse, Scruffesis, and Target.